0: Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us.
1: One of the advertisements of religion is the promise of becoming a better person. Quite often people will offer religion as an alternative to a lifestyle that somebody is presently burdened by. And they will say that if you really want to become a better person, if you would really like to become the kind of person that others would like you to be, then religion can provide you with a wonderful opportunity to learn new ways, new beliefs, new techniques, new principles of life, new ways of living, and so that you can actually become a better person. This is one of the advertisements of religion, and there are many religions that are available that a person can turn to with the hope of trying to become a better person. One of the common statements that is indirectly conveyed from many pastors and priests, for example, is, come to me and I will teach you how to stop sinning. I've never heard this said directly, especially like that. However, indirectly, that tends to be the message that is often communicated, is a message of come to me and I will teach you how to be a better person. And what that means is, is that I will teach you how to stop sinning in your daily life. That's one of the ways that people advertise for others to come in and participate in other churches or other religious organizations. But the reality is, is that we were not designed by our God to function that way. We were not designed by our God to function on the basis of rules and regulations or principles of daily life. That's not how we were made. We were not made to function on the basis of knowing what is good and evil or what is right and wrong or to know what kind of a person we should be and to just strive to be that kind of a person. That's not how he made us. He made us very differently. He made us to be dependent on him, to receive all that he has to offer for us personally and individually. And through the experience of a relationship with him, our hearts will then be changed, Through this interactive relationship, and so our outward behavior, the way that we interact with the other people that we run across in our daily lives, will be solely dependent on how our God directs us and how He changes us. That's very different from what most people are actually offering in the guise of religion. And so because we were not created to function that way, the promise will never be realized. The offer will never be fulfilled the offer of you can become a better person if you will just follow us and listen to us and participate in the things that we tell you to participate in then everything will work out just fine that promise will always remain unfulfilled because we were not created to function that way and no matter how hard a person may try no matter how hard they may try or no matter how much they may deceive themselves into thinking that they have actually succeeded Regardless of that, a person is not going to be changed that way, at least not from the inside. And while you might be able to get the exterior or your outside, your outside behavior under control enough that you might deceive some people, there are other people, as they get to know you personally and in a deep way, you will be exposed and it will be discovered. Many people will discover that you truly are not as wonderful as you have claimed to be. That is just a simple reality of life. For that reason, many people will try to hide, in fact, from other people, from having deep personal relationships with other people. They will try to hide from those things, just because the exposure may be too much for them to personally bear. But either way, eventually people will come to realize and recognize the futility of religious activity. People will eventually discover that the promises that are made are actually false promises, And that what is being offered will never be fulfilled. And because of that, people will, for good reasons, reject religion. And they will reject churches. And they will reject church leaders. And to be honest with you, I think most religious organizations, churches, and pastors, and other leaders, they should be rejected. Absolutely. I reject the vast majority of what is being taught in popular Christianity today. All you have to do is listen to my broadcast or any of the programs that I have already done for a reasonable period of time, and you will discover that the vast majority of what I do teach is totally contrary to what is being presented in the popular culture today. But normally it won't take very long for a person to realize that there just simply is nothing there, they will reject it and turn away from it, but then what will they turn to? What will they then turn to, and how will they continue to live their daily lives? Well, for the most part, people will generally conclude that there is no God or there is no truth in the Bible or there is no truth in religion of any kind. And so because of this assumption, a person will generally reject anything that has to do with God or spirituality or religion. They'll just turn away from absolutely everything just to be safe. And they will avoid everything and they will reject absolutely everything. And so by default, they will then turn to the world ...that they have at their disposal and just try to indulge their flesh as much as they possibly can for the rest of their life. And that's how most people will live. That's how most people respond to the obvious failures of the religion and of the leadership and of the teachings that people are exposed to today. And this becomes quite a challenge, especially for someone like me, because I know what they rejected and I know why they rejected it. That may be true... However, that may not be very helpful because they may not care. They may not care anymore whether or not I am going to tell them the truth. They may not care what the truth is anymore at that point. Instead, in order to be safe, they will just simply reject everything. And these people are very difficult for me to reach out to. I find it very difficult for me to reach out to them. I can get them to agree with me and I can agree with them that what they were hearing before was totally wrong. And totally in error and was certainly something that they should reject. However, when I want to present them with an alternative, quite often they are so skeptical that they won't even consider it as a possibility. And so because of the experiences that they've had in the past, in general I find it very difficult to offer them an alternative in a way that they are willing to consider and accept and pursue as a possibility. But this certainly is nothing new. This is something that we have dealt with people, that is, throughout the entire history of humanity, and things were definitely no different during the time of the Lord Jesus. During the time of the Lord Jesus in Israel, there were many people who observed the religious activity of religious Jews, Jews who, out of great sincerity, would devote every aspect of their life, or maybe not every aspect, maybe just a few aspects, or maybe part of the day or part of the week. They would devote their lives to wanting to get to know their God and wanting to become a better person, and there were people who were observing them and observing their successes and failures, and through their religious activity, they may have become better people in one sense, however, they could become very mean and vicious people in another sense. It would always depend. Just as we experience that today, for example, today, a religious person is generally one of the meanest people that you'll ever run across in your life. So also back then, religious people could very well be very mean and very vicious. There are others who certainly could be very kind and very nice. No question about that at all, and you certainly should not judge all of the Pharisees, for example, just because a handful of them or those who were in positions of power decided to act in a very mean and vicious and cruel way. You certainly could not judge all of them like that. There were many who did believe in the Lord Jesus while he was conducting his ministry, and others who turned to him after he died and rose again from the dead. And so it would be a good idea to be careful when we pass large judgments based on assumptions that may not be very true. But either way, back then, I am very confident that there were people who observed the religious behaviors and the religious activities and the religious pursuits of many religious Jews. And because their religious activities and pursuits and involvements and commitments never really did change their heart, there were many people who rejected Judaism the religion of the Jews, they rejected Judaism, and they rejected the notion of a living God, a true and living God. They could easily do that because they would make the assumption that their God, the God that the people were worshiping, was not real enough to really change them into a better person. Because of that, others may have rejected the true and living God just because of that, and may have turned to a different way of life just because they would not see the benefit of living a life of religiosity or living a life as a participant in the synagogue or as a participant in the temple. And so because of that, what would they turn to? Well, in general, they would turn to what we would consider to be a secular belief or a secular theology, a theology of whatever is convenient at the moment, even And many of them adopted, many of the Jews in the time of Jesus, adopted many of the philosophical principles of the Greeks and of the Romans and of other countries. They adopted those philosophical and religious beliefs just because they were convenient or they sounded better, or perhaps they may have worked in their own personal life a little bit better for their personalities than the religion of the Jews or that which was presented through Moses. And so because of that, they may have found it easy to turn to Pagan Greek philosophy and avoid the law of Moses and the truths that were revealed through the prophets, it could be very easy to do. And there were many people who did that, and they were recognized and identified as the Hellenists. That's who they were. The Hellenists were people who rejected, effectively rejected, the religion of Judaism and turned to Greek philosophy as an alternative. Now, just because they turned to Greek philosophy didn't mean that they turned to idol worship and lots of other things that were part of pagan Greek philosophy. They certainly would pick and choose those things that they felt were appropriate or of value to them. And without any deep conviction, really, towards many of the philosophical principles, they would just simply adopt them out of convenience Or because they do make a lot of sense in our natural mind, and so they would find them easy to believe, and they would find them convenient so that they could go forward and live their daily lives with something that at least made sense to them. There's nothing inherently evil about that, although I do believe that those people were believing things that were not true. That's certainly the case. However, it was not necessarily an act of rebellion against the temple or rebellion against the Sanhedrin. And so because of that, many of the Jews who were relatively religious were still willing to accept many of the Hellenistic Jews in their community, because it would be obvious that they really didn't have such deep convictions that they would be willing to die for their beliefs, for example or anything like that, they certainly could take the attitude or take the posture of saying, look, we may consider Judaism, certainly, we may consider that, and we don't necessarily want to say that it's evil or wrong. It's just that we don't really have that much conviction towards it. And so because of that, maybe you could help us be inspired to have some conviction towards that. Maybe if you live your life a little bit longer and continually try to talk to us about how we should be living, then maybe someday we'll get it. And so because of those kinds of attitudes, it was easy to allow many Hellenists, many Hellenistic Jews to still live in the land of Israel and participate in the economy of Israel. However, there would be some biases that would be placed against them, some limitations in terms of who would provide them with favor or who would provide them with work or ways of making a living. Those who were in absolute authority would have limitations in terms of how much help they would provide or that they would be willing to provide to a Hellenistic Jew. And this was illustrated very well in Acts chapter 6. In Acts chapter 6, in verse 1, it says, Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. In Acts chapter 6, we have this passage here, Acts chapter 6, verse 1. We have this passage that says that the Hellenistic Jews were being neglected in the daily distribution from the disciples, from the apostles of the Lord Jesus, which is very interesting to note because... Technically, they should have been supported, or you would have thought that they were supported by the temple, because the temple existed for many purposes, and one of the purposes was to support the widows and the orphans, to support those who would find it difficult to provide for themselves just because of the amount of labor that is required quite often in order to produce the amount of material or food or goods or services in order to effectively make a living to provide for food, shelter, clothing, energy, those things that we do need in order to survive. In those days when technology was not very complex like it is today, and the culture was also very different, it was very difficult for widows and orphans to be able to support themselves. And so in light of that, the temple would provide Materials, it would provide food and clothing and other things that the people would need if they were not able to provide for themselves. And the tithes and offerings of the other people in the nation would go in order to cover those kinds of expenses. However, if a person was not considered to be a Jewish person, at least from the religious point of view, if they were considered to be a Hellenistic Jew, for example, then they would be looked at as a person who had abandoned the faith of Israel, abandoned the God of Israel, and so why would they be coming to the temple, the temple of God, in order to obtain sustenance or to obtain help for what they would need? And so because of that attitude, many people in Israel were rejected by the temple and by the religious authorities to the extent where they could not receive assistance. I sincerely believe that based on Acts chapter 6, verse 1, That the early church was actually beginning to support those who the temple would not support. That the temple would not help. I believe that the early church was beginning to do that. And in Acts chapter 6 verse 1 we have an indication of that. Because a conflict arose about the Hellenistic Jews. Or more specifically the widows of the Hellenistic Jews. They were not being supported as others were being supported a conflict arose, and so this tells me a number of things. First of all, it does tell me that the early church was supporting people that the temple would not likely support, and that's why they would be going to the church that was being developed instead of going to the temple. The temple would have plenty of provisions based on the taxation of the tithe that people would be delivering every year. They would have plenty of resources in order to provide for these folks. However, they would not be provided for if they were not recognized as being religious enough to the authorities in the temple. And so given that, the church, it appears, picked up the slack and provided for these people at least up until a point. Now in Acts chapter 5, we have the description of the church receiving a lot of resources because people were giving A lot of their resources. But given that there was a conflict here in Acts chapter 6, it suggests to me something else, and that is that the church was starting to run out of resources, that the church was having difficulty with the availability of resources, because people were probably not giving as they were, as described at the end of Acts chapter 4 and the beginning of Acts chapter 5. And so, considering that, there appears to be a conflict because of the lack of resources, and the way that the church handles this lack of resources is by restricting the amount of resources that they are going to distribute to those who are not technically recognized as Jews. And so, what we have here is we have three groups of people recognized at this point in Acts chapter 6. The first group of people, of course, is the religious Jews of the temple who are not providing for everyone in the community who has need. The second group of people is the church composed primarily of Jews who believe in Jesus as the Messiah. However, in addition to that, we have a third classification of people, and that is the Hellenistic Jews, which obviously, in my opinion, they do not believe in the Lord Jesus as being the Messiah. So the church may be providing for them, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they believe in Jesus as the Messiah. If they did, then they would have been baptized in order to officially convert to Judaism. They would then believe in the Lord Jesus, receive the Holy Spirit, and then be recognized as a renewed, committed Jew, inspired by the reality that Jesus is their Messiah. And so through that, they would no longer be recognized as Hellenistic Jews. They would then be recognized as regular Jews who believe that Jesus is the Messiah. In that way, they would be people of the way. That would be a better definition of these individuals instead of the native Hebrews or the regular Hebrews, those who are recognized as legitimate Jews because of their conversion through baptism and belief in the Lord Jesus, the early church, the disciples and the apostles would have recognized them as being more legitimate in terms of their Judaism in comparison with those who did not follow through with that process. And so given that classification, it does appear that the early church was being discriminatory and only giving to those who believed in Jesus as the Messiah and would give up Hellenistic beliefs. They would have to give up Hellenistic beliefs in order to survive in the early church as a member of the church, as a believer in Christ Jesus. They would have to do that. Otherwise, the early church certainly would not have accepted them. It wasn't until Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11 that the early church discovered that a Gentile could even be saved. And so back here in Acts chapter 6, there's no way that they would have even acknowledged that the Hellenistic Jews were believers in Christ Jesus. They would not have done that on the basis of the theology that I can see being developed through the transitions and the maturity described here in the book of Acts of the early church. But what's even more interesting is to observe how the apostles handled this conflict, how they handled this situation, as we continue to read in Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse 2. This is Acts chapter 6, verse 2. It says, So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, Brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And then in verse 5, the statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Pharmenus, and Nicolas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. So then in verse 7, the word of God kept on spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. All right, so that's how the apostles handled it. They did what? Well, they did nothing, really. All they did was ask for other people to take responsibility for this task. This is a very important thing to note, and that is the subtlety of their solution to this conflict. The subtlety was that they recognized that there were people who had a need, certainly had a need, and yet their solution was to step aside from their responsibility. This is very interesting to observe, that they did not find a solution to the problem. The conflict was presented an argument was revealed, an argument between the Hellenists and those who were considered to be legitimate Jews. An argument occurred and there is no resolution that is described here. That's very important to see, I think, that there is no resolution. The solution that the apostles felt was adequate was that they just simply removed themselves from the situation and asked seven other people to take the role And they did take the role. But we don't know how they solved the conflict. We don't know if the conflict was ever solved. And to me, as far as I can tell, I do not believe that this conflict was ever solved. I personally believe that if they had a lack of resources, that they would certainly discriminate. That they would, based on what I understand about the development of the early church. I sincerely believe that they did continue to discriminate against the Hellenists, it's just that in this way the apostles could remove themselves and so there would really be no one that they could bring their case to. There would be no one who would judge on the matter and give an ultimate final decision. Now in this way, the apostles are still acknowledging and showing that they do not really believe that a Gentile... Or a Jew who rejected Judaism, who technically would be considered to be worse than a Gentile. That's another important point to understand, especially how they would be viewed by the temple, is that they would be looked at more as traitors than just somebody who was visiting from out of town. A Gentile from another country would certainly be given all that they would have a desire for. However, a Jew who lived there, who was a part of the community, would be totally rejected if they rejected the religion of Judaism. So likewise, in the early church, I believe that this struggle was revealed here, that this struggle still continued to exist in the development of the early church, because the early church did not consider a Gentile as a person who could participate in the things of the Lord Jesus. And so certainly, if a discrimination was to be made, it would be made against those who were not considered to be a part of Judaism or the faith through the Lord Jesus as being the Messiah and especially those Jews who not only are rejecting the religion of Moses, or of the Pharisees for that matter, but also are obviously rejecting the religion and the faith that was presented through the Lord Jesus. Otherwise, they would not be recognized as Hellenists any longer. They would have been officially recognized as converts, not really proselytes like Nicolaus, who was selected as one of the seven. He was a proselyte from Antioch. A proselyte would have been recognized as a Gentile converted to Judaism. If a Hellenistic Jew turns to either Judaism or faith in the Lord Jesus, then they would be recognized as a Jew who fully recommitted their lives back to the law of Moses. They would no longer be considered to be a Hellenistic Jew. That's a very important point to understand in order to see the conflict that's really taking place here in the scriptures and how I believe the apostles completely stepped aside from the conflict And in that way, the conflict was resolved. It appears to be resolved by just simply sending the widows of the Hellenistic Jews away because there would be no one to bring their case before any longer, and also with a lack of resources at their disposal, they could easily say, I'm sorry, but we have no more to give. We're going to be discriminatory in terms of how we give, and that's just simply the way it's going to be. Now, in Acts chapter 6, what we do still have is we have the description of Stephen or an introduction to Stephen. Stephen. Stephen was introduced as a man who was selected because of his great faith and his power in the Holy Spirit. He was selected to be one of seven people to assist in distributing food and other things to those who would have a need. Stephen was a very unique man in the early church. He was the first one to be martyred for his faith. He was the first one to be murdered because of what he believed. What we have here in Acts chapter 6 and Acts chapter 7 is a very unique description of an individual who definitely has grown to know the Lord. And what I especially find very interesting about this and about Stephen is that he seemed to have a good understanding of the grace of God. And I say that for a number of reasons. The first reason, of course, is because he is the one who has a conflict with a certain synagogue, but also because of his response to those who were throwing stones at him. This is very unique, and I look forward to telling you about this in the next broadcast.
0: You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net.